Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast with Pastor John of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org and please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. I wasn't planning on um, using Luke's account in Luke chapter 2. What I was planning on, I was thinking of the song that we just sung in Silent Nights. And my thought was a few weeks ago, was it really a Silent Nights? Um, We get these things in our mind, like we had two songs, Silent Night and another song that talked about the heavenly choir singing. And... uh, It doesn't necessarily say song. We assume it was a song, but they saying, it says praising God and saying, Luke 2, 13 and 14, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill toward man. And so it it doesn't say, the Greek doesn't say praising God and singing, but we assume it's singing. We have songs telling us it's singing. And a lot of times our theology comes from songs And we think we understand what the word actually says. And it's actually what a song has been written to give us this idea of that night and help maybe expand our understanding of it a little bit. But sometimes we can be a little off in that fashion. So I wasn't planning on looking at Luke 2. What I'm planning on doing is looking through the verses of Silent Nights and take each stanza and then talk about it. And each stanza takes us to Luke chapter 2. So we ended up in Luke 2. So I think the author of Silent Night must have had Luke 2 on his mind when he penned the original words. You'll have to hear this because it's a lot different than what we sing today. But this uh, song, A Christmas Carol, that was written in 1818, uh, been around for a long time. Joseph Moore and Franz Guber. Uh, Joseph Moore penning the original words, only six lines, and I'll read those lines to you in a moment. And Franz was the church organist, as I'd said um, at another service here, that that organ was broken, and perhaps you've heard this account of that. They had a brand new church. The organ wasn't working. And they had been talking, actually, uh, Joseph and Franz have been talking about a Christmas carol that had never really been written. A perfect Christmas hymn had never been written. And with the broken organ, they decided that they'd sit down and pen some perfect words for Christmas. And that week, the organ repairman showed up and you think if he's an organ repairman he probably knows how to play an organ and he liked the tune that was originally played on guitar and he took it and asked can I take it with me and he began to share it and it eventually got into the hands of a couple of families kind of like the Van Trapp families from uh, uh, what is the name of that show Sound of Music Pulled a blank there. Uh, That's what it was. It was a singing family. They were selling their wares by singing songs, and they began to sing this. One of the families went on to sing it before their king and queen. Another came to New York and sang it here. It became very popular by that time. And it was originally published in a German hymnal in uh, 1838, and it was titled A Hymn of Unknown Origin. And then it appeared in a hymnal here as a carol in 1839. And kind of the legend has taken off since then. So the original six verses of Silent Night. Silent Night, Holy Night, everyone sleeps, alone watches. Only the close, most holy couple, blessed boy in curly hair, Sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. So that's the original. It was only six lines that they sang that night. This is the perfect Christmas. That's what they were trying to write. Apparently not because it's been rewritten um, and verses have been added on to it. 
but it has been sung for nearly 200 years, so pretty incredible. So let's break it down. And I'm only really looking at three of the four verses we sang for today. And we have three points. All is calm, all is bright is our first point. We'll look at Luke 2, verses 1 through 7. Shepherds quake at his sight, Luke 2, verses 8 through 20. And then kind of summarizing out of the Gospel of Luke and just some thoughts about that third verse, Son of God loves pure light. And I begin reading. I'm going to go ahead and read the context. Luke 2, verses 1 through 7 tells us, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went out to be registered, everyone to his own city. And Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in an end. So that first verse, silent night, holy night, round young virgin, mother and child, holy infant, tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. So we get this really serene setting for the Christmas carol of Silent Night, that everything was just wonderful as they were forced to go register by the Roman government. By the way, if you don't know this, the Jews really didn't like being under the Roman authority. And there were some, even one of... uh, Jesus' disciple was a zealot, meaning that he was zealots in the time of Christ. They were even using uh, assassination attempts or even assassinating people in the Roman government or friends of the Roman government, Jewish people. And um, Simon the Zealot, He was very political. The Jews didn't like Rome ruling over them. And now you have a Roman emperor telling them that they had to go and register to the city of their uh, origin, their lineage. Um, And on top of this, Mary's about ready to have a baby. And they're traveling, not by car, not by train, not by taxi, not the methods that we travel today. They... If you're lucky, I mean, we we see the Christmas accounts of Mary sitting on the donkey, so it must be true. We don't read about it in Scripture at all, but uh, that would be kind, even that, that 80 to 100 mile trip um, would be a, a challenge. But everybody had to take this journey. Everybody had to go to their uh, home of origin to be registered for the Roman a census that was being taken. And so I would imagine that not everything was so calm, not everything was so bright, because I don't know about you, but in our own country, when uh, April 15th kind of rolls around every year, there are a lot of disgruntled people about having to pay taxes. And... Um, That's one side of it. The thing that gets me the most is when I get my homeowner's tax bill from the state of Illinois uh, coming to my mailbox every year and watching the increase, uh, incredible, incredible increase of to where now it's pretty much viewed by Lily and I that we're paying rent to the state of Illinois to live in our home uh, because they require so much out of us. But I'm not bitter. Don't worry about that. Not at all. (laughs) So just think about this. You have people moving all over Israel. Some going to Bethlehem, some going to Jerusalem, some going to Nazareth, some going to Capernaum. uh, Name the city of their origin. They had to go there. And people are 
crisscrossing across the whole nation there because of the census. I doubt if it was such a silent night with that thought. We do know that because there was no room for him in an inn, there was no place for them to say they they didn't have um, what we reviewed. They didn't have hotels. Uh, they didn't have pubs that you know maybe had a, a room up top where people could stay. Usually it was people in family homes that would share, or someone would open their guest house um, and show hospitality. Hospitality was really a big issue and still is in the Middle East today, so it's important to show hospitality. Remember uh, Lot, when the two angels, two men, came to him in the city of Sodom, he, fearing for what might happen to the two angels, he showed them hospitality. They were going to spend the night in the town square, and he said, no, you can't do that. You need to come into my home. You'll be safe. And that was common. But I don't know if too many people were showing a lot of hospitality at this time. There's a point to where you kind of get filled up with when people are out and about, moving about like they were, um, everything was filled up. All we had left is this, the Greek is kataluma, and it can be translated as a guest room in uh, homes. At that time, they would have a lower area that, could be, Pastor Kevin talked about this a few years ago, could be a nighttime shelter for the family animals that they would bring them in. And uh, we're not sure whether it was a stable, a barn, a cave, a lower section in a home. We do know that they had a manger, so it was a feeding trough, and that's where Jesus was laid. He was laid with swaddling clothes, which is customary thing of that tightly wrapped baby. The idea of that was to um, take these cloths and wrap the baby to help introduce the baby to the world, being in a tightly knit womb, and then coming out free and crying um, to kind of give that comfort that it had known in the womb itself. And again, we get this idea of Christ from the songs and many of the uh, Christmas accounts that we have that Jesus, being the Son of God, being God incarnate, that he wasn't like normal babies. A silent night, holy infant, so tender and mild, we read in the third verse, I believe. Away in the manger, the cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. So an animal wakes up a baby. So we have a baby coming in our family. And uh, when you have a newborn, you try to be quiet, right? The baby finally gets to sleep. You learn to walk quietly. You learn to not slam doors. You learn to... Uh, be a little silent because you know that any noise could awake the baby. And what happens when a baby is startled and wakes up? They cry. Jesus, I'm assuming, cried. I'm sure that Jesus had, as a baby, all the needs and responses of all babies. And Jesus came from heaven's glory, though, not as a man, but as a babe. Jesus, the great high priest of God, He wasn't clothed in priestly garments, but was swaddled in cloths, laid in a manger, not in a king's palace. The creator of the world, not welcomed by the throngs of humanity, but birthed in seclusion in a stable in Bethlehem. And perhaps the night of Jesus' birth, perhaps it wasn't so silent at all, as all, so silent after all. Hebrews 15. 4.15, it says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. He was like us, except he did not sin, and he was birthed without sin. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And at a time when our world 
is being moved about by and being shaken by the whims of political leaders, even to this day we can find rest in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Second, shepherds quake out of sight. Again, the context, a little longer this time. Picking up Luke 2, verse 8, it says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled, at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things, pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told them. So the second stanza. Silent night, holy night, shepherds quake at the sight. Glorious streams from heaven afar, heavenly hosts sing hallelujah. Christ the Savior is born. Christ the Savior is born. So the shepherds and the angels. Some would argue that the shepherds wouldn't have been out watching the flocks at night because it was winter in Israel at this time, the time of Jesus' birth. First of all, we don't know the exact date of Jesus' birth, so it's hard to even make that argument because we're not sure when he was born. He was probably born on one of the feast days of Israel, but whether it was a fall feast day or a spring feast day, a fall seems to be more likely, but we still, the scripture is silent to that. But a few years ago, we had Roy Schwartz here from Chosen People's Ministry, and he was doing a Christmas message for us, and he talked about the possibility of the Levitical priesthood, uh, the Levites, that they were the ones who were responsible for watching over the sheep that would be sacrificed in the morning, in the evening, every day of the week. Think about that. Morning and evening sacrifices at the temple every day of the week uh, meant that, you know, just on an average week you had 14 lambs that were sacrificed. You would have to have a pretty standby flock ready to go. Uh, lambs that were under a year old and that were without spot and blemished and that were cared for. And so it could be that these were the Levitical shepherds watching over the lambs that would be used for the sacrifice. If true, this would be just a wonderful thought behind those who are responsible for watching over the lambs for the temple sacrifice to have an angel come and then the heaven host of heaven come to sing glory, I said sing there, say glory to God in the highest, but to these who were responsible for the little lambs that would be offered on the sacrifice, sacrificial altar to meet the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world the ultimate sacrifice that would come through Jesus Christ. John 1.29 tells us, as John the Baptist introduced Jesus as the Lamb of God, it takes away the sin of the world. So whether they were watching over temple sheep or they were just working for some sheep rancher, seeing an angel and God's Shekinah glory shining all around them caused the shepherds to be greatly afraid. 
And the angels did what the angels normally do. When you read about angels in the Bible coming to someone, you you never read in the Bible an angel appeared and the person said, well, this is so cool, I always wanted to meet an angel. No, usually they're freaked out because the first response of the angel is don't be afraid. He wouldn't have to say don't be afraid unless they were afraid. And by the way, if you were out in the middle of a field in the middle of night and you're a shepherd and so you're looking for predators, right? That's your whole job, especially at night. You don't want no thieves or wolves and predators, whether human or animal, and suddenly there's angels around you and the glory of God shining, telling you this great thing that Christ has been born this day in the city of David, this message that he gave. He, he gave specific things about Jesus in verse 11. We find that he is Savior, Zoter in the Greek, that he is Christ, Christos, and that he is Kyrios, he is Lord. And so, verse 11, born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So he is Savior, one who saves and or delivers. He is Christ, the Anointed One, or the Messiah, and he is Lord. It speaks about being that Supreme authority over someone, either the Lord, master, or owner of their lives. And the message was that you would find a babe in swaddling clothes in Bethlehem, lying in a manger. And we looked at that from Micah 5.2 and Matthew 2.6, that the prophecy concerning Jesus being born in Bethlehem in the land of Judea, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. We looked at that over the last month here at the church. But the sign was to find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger in Bethlehem. Now, this is how we get a picture of this. But the picture we get comes from Ezekiel 16.4. It's in the negative because God is talking negatively against Israel at this point, telling them the things that they did not do, which they should have done. So we get an idea, though, of what they did with their babies. In this verse in Ezekiel 16, 4, it says, For as for your nativity, on the day that you were born, your navel cord was not cut. You were, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you, you were not rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. And so we had the four-step process of what they normally would do with a child. Obviously, you have to cut the uh, umbilical cord, but they would wash with water. That makes sense. They would rub with salt, and they would wrap the baby in swaddling cloths. And we looked at that swaddling cloths already to um, just allow the baby to have the comfort of the womb once again with the tightly wrapped cloths and that became popular again we have those maybe not swaddling cloths in that sense but there are swaddling blankets and stuff that parents use today but this is what they had to do they had to go it had been announced but unless they responded they wouldn't have known what the angel said was true. And I think that's so true in the sense of today of sharing Christ with others, um, bringing the account of Christ to others. There needs to be the response. There has to be the response. The shepherds would say, we have to go and see whether these things were true or not. And so after that introduction, the heavenly host began to praise God and to say glory to God in the highest peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And there had been a lot of praising going on so long. So far in Matthew and Luke's Gospels, we've learned of the song of Elizabeth, the Magnificent of Mary, the Benedictus of Zacharias, and now the praise of the heavenly host of angels. And although it doesn't technically say they sang, 
Their praise could have been a song. It seems to make sense. But whether a song or a chant or a praise, however the words came out, the heavenly host proclaimed the most important thing about God. God, who sits in the heights of heaven's glory, offered peace and goodwill to all mankind by sending his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So the response of the shepherds was, as the angels departed, let's go see if this thing is so. Now, how did they know? Did they go house to house? Did they check every barn, every cave, every stable? Right? They had to find baby Jesus. That in itself would have been a challenge. They probably had a lot of questions and door knocking and trying to find out where this baby was. We know with the wise men that there was a star that appeared over the house where the Savior was, but we don't read about a star here. The angels didn't say anything about a star. It could have been. There were probably no neon lights over here. None of that. But they had to investigate. They had to explore. And I think that's important when we share, again, as I said earlier, the message of the gospel with others. We share our testimony with others. Um, Sometimes we maybe think, oh, they didn't respond, they didn't hear the message. And I think sometimes we need to allow time for someone to digest what they've learned, what they've heard, to explore. Um, We can keep encouraging them, of course, but the Word tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so it's important to share, but then there needs to be that response And hearing by the word of God that God is working in the individual. And the shepherds came to discover. And they discovered a babe in a manger. I don't know how they found Jesus. But they came and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. In verse 17 says, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying that was told them concerning this child. And all who heard these things marveled at the things told them by the shepherds. So the lowly shepherds had the privilege of being the first to share the good news of Jesus' birth. All the shepherds needed to do was repeat the message that the angels proclaimed to them. There is born to you this day in the city of David who is Christ the Lord. And today the church needs... Those who have heard and understood the gospel message, just give them the word. Think, I don't know how to share Christ with others. Well, God has given us his word. All we need to do is give God's word back to them and let the word of God have its effect upon a person's life. Psalm 71, 17 and 18 says, O God, you have taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works. Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, this is becoming more like me every time I read this, every year. Now, when I'm becoming old and gray-headed, O God, I do not, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who sees it. They went forth and they shared. We need to be those who are willing to share. But Mary, she pondered the things in her heart. While the shepherds returned and glorified and praised God, Mary pondered. Perhaps she thought about her own angelic visitation. Or maybe the angelic visitation that she had heard of to Zacharias, or the words of Elizabeth and the prophecy that Zacharias spoke after the birth of his son, John the Baptist. Maybe she thought about Joseph and how the Lord had been speaking to him in dreams and directing their family up to this point and would continue to direct their family as the Christmas story continues from this point. And yet, Mary had much to keep, much to ponder in her heart. And the shepherds being amazed at their angelic vision, hearing the multitude of praise from heaven, Glorifying and praising God, 
finding everything that had been told them just as it had been told, they too then joined in glorifying and praising God. And how appropriate for the shepherds who are accustomed to caring for little lambs to come and see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Are we willing to make widely known the gospel of Jesus Christ to others? Those things which we have learned, which we have come to know, are we willing to share that with others? And the third verse, Silent night, holy night, Son of God loves pure light, radiant beams from thy holy face. With the dawn of redeeming grace, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. The lines of this verse could make it seem that Jesus had this radiant halo. You've seen it in every picture, right? Look at uh, on our screen. That little child has neon, uh, has lights. I mean, he's just glowing. No wonder the shepherds could find him. They're in a cave, and it's like, man, that cave is really bright. Got to be something going on there, or the lower section of the house or uh, the barn, wherever they were at. It makes it appear that there was this radiant glow coming from the Christ child. In fact, a passage in Isaiah tells us that his face was in such that no one would even be attracted to him. Um, There would be no outline identification of Jesus, like the first king of Israel, King Saul, which turned out to be a very bad king, but he was a head taller than all the rest. So look at the tall one over there. He was a head taller. He stood out in the crowd. Jesus didn't do that. If he had this halo, this glow, as we see in our picture up there, um, the angels would have said, don't look for the child with the in swaddling cloths. They would have just said, look for the child that glows. <laughs> now, one day, Jesus would transfigure before his apostles, Peter, James, and John. And Peter would testify of this in Second Peter's, 2 Peter 1, 16 through 18. He would say, we did not follow cunningly devised Fables, when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, saying, Behold, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We heard his voice when we were there with him on the holy mountain. That account of seeing the transfiguration of Christ when Christ was in his glory. But as a baby, we don't read of Jesus being in that glory. Although radiant beams probably did not come from the Christ child's holy face, there are four truths that this stanza does proclaim about Jesus. First, he is the Son of God. Second, he represents the love of God. Third, he is the source of God's redeeming grace. And fourth, he is Lord. Jesus is the Son of God. This is the primary focus of the Gospels. With God the Father and God the Holy Spirit actively supporting Jesus Christ, we find that God testifies Jesus as his only begotten Son at his baptism and also at his transfiguration. And there at the transfiguration in Luke 3.22, it says, Behold my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And in Luke Actually, that was his baptism. And then the transfiguration, Luke 9, 35. This is my beloved son, hear him. God testified of Jesus Christ as the son of God. Paul stresses the relationship of Jesus with his father over his creation in Colossians 1, 18. Speaking of Jesus being the father's heir, standing in preeminence or as the mediator over his creation, meaning that Jesus is first in position. He is supreme over all creation, Colossians 1.18. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, 
that in all things he may have preeminence. And truly, Jesus is the Son of God, in whom God is well pleased. He represents the love of God to us. And John writes in 1 John 4, 10 and 11, In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So 1 John 4.10, in this is love, that God, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation. Hilosmos is the Greek word. It means to be a covering, that Jesus becomes that appeasement, that covering for our sins. It's the same word that would be used for the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a box that had uh, no closing lid on it. The lid was the mercy seat, the hilasmas, the appeasement. In the box was the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod that butted a jar of manna. But God put the lid on it, that covering that would protect the priest and the people of Israel to remove that covering meant certain death. We read about that happening in uh, the Old Testament at one occasion. But Jesus then becomes that covering. To not have the covering of Jesus Christ means certain separation from God. We need the covering of Christ over our lives. When the Bible teaches of God's love, it points to Jesus and his sending his son to die for our sins. He is the source also of our redeeming grace. Redeeming grace or saving grace, it speaks about God's unmerited favor toward us. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The grace of God, Jesus Christ, that brings us salvation has appeared to all men. Christus, that Charis, I mean, in the Greek, for grace, it means to show goodwill to someone. God's grace, uh, it speaks about also of our being grateful or to have gratitude or thanksgiving toward God. The Bible is clear that God's redeeming grace only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Titus 2.14 who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. To redeem, it means uh, to release this ransom that had been on our lives. We had been, have this death sentence upon our lives. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus came to pay the ransom, to redeem us, to pay the price of our sin. And Peter talking about that redemption in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, saying, knowing that we were not redeemed by corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct, receiving by the tradition of your fathers, that which has been passed on to us. We have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And finally, he is the Son of God, he represents the love of God, he is the source of God's redeeming grace, and he is Lord. Curios is the Greek word, it means to have supreme in authority or power, it would mean to be the Lord or master or owner over our lives. And this is Christ. That word conveys the sense of submission, also dependency upon the, the master. And here as believers, we're to have that submission to Jesus, that dependency on Jesus, that he is Lord. In 1 Corinthians 12.3, it tells us, No one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, that Christ does a work in our hearts. Paul, before he became known to us as Paul in the Scriptures, he was first 
identified as Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus. And uh, he was wrecking havoc on the church. He wanted to destroy the church. At that time, it was called the Way. It was a sect of Judaism that uh, Paul felt that didn't belong in Israel, and he attacked the church. He was there when the first martyr Stephen died, and they said that those who stoned Stephen laid the coats before the feet of a young man named Saul, and so in a sense that Saul as a Pharisee had authority and was maybe not picking up the stones, but approving of the stoning of Stephen. And he wrecked havoc upon the church and those who were being put to death. In fact, Paul would later write about this time in his life, saying that I was going after those who had blasphemed against God, but in reality, I was the blasphemer. And when he had apparently cleaned up Jerusalem so much so that the disciples and uh, many others had departed from Jerusalem, he was heading to Damascus. He had letters from the high priest to arrest those who were of the way, to bring them back to Jerusalem that they might be put on trial. But as he made his way to Damascus, as we know as the road to Damascus, it's kind of cool that in Israel today, the road to Damascus is still the road to Damascus because the region is so mountainous north of Galilee there, and you're heading that way. There's only one road that goes that way. And so it's probably pretty close where Saul was. At some point on that journey, the Lord came, and God suddenly shining all around him, blinding him as he fell to the ground. He heard the words of the Lord in Acts 9.4, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then Saul's response, and that's what I wanted to get to, in Acts 9.6, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, he is Lord. And it took for Saul being blinded physically for a period of three days, being knocked off his feet on the ground by the glorious Shekinah glory of God to turn his life around and to say, Jesus is Lord. Sometimes it takes people getting to the bottom to finally acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. I hope that you don't have to get to that bottom place of your life to make that acknowledgement. So much easier to do it younger, to do it earlier uh, in your life. The longer you wait, the more baggage of life gets on you, uh, the more stuff you have to deal with. Build that foundation early. Realize that Jesus is the Son of God, that he represents the love of God, that he is the source of God's redeeming grace because he is Lord. And I hope that he is the Lord of your life. Now the final stanzas that we sang earlier is just really inviting us all to sing. Where it says, Silent night, holy night, wondrous star, lend thy light. With the angels let us sing. Hallelujah to our King. Christ the Savior is born. Christ the Savior is born. And though many may sing the words of Silent Night during this Christmas season, only those who have called upon the name of Jesus in life-saving faith can truly join with the angels and the heavenly host singing Hallelujah to our King. And Father, we thank you for this Christmas Eve. A time, Lord, where we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus. And I pray, Jesus, that you would um, show yourself strong. We read in Scripture today that no one can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. And we learned about and reminded of Saul, how he came to that point in his life where he finally acknowledged you, Jesus, as Lord. I pray, Lord, that many would acknowledge you as Lord throughout the world today as Christmas is being celebrated. Maybe for the first time, there would be this realization of the love of God 
in the gift of his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Bless us, Lord, as we close out in a Christmas carol again. And we pray, Lord, that you would be with us in our fellowship as we close out this year as well. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. 